Good morning. How are you today? Good to be in the house with you. Hey, if you would, join me in welcoming into our service Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. Good to be with y'all this morning. What's up? You know, the Bible says that it is good for God's people to gather together to celebrate with those who celebrate and to mourn with those who mourn. So to everyone who graduated from the University of Texas, we're here for you today. I'm one of you, by the way. Anyway, that... I, just, I don't even know what to say. But anywho, I would like to begin this morning by introducing you by way of a story to my brother, Patrick. Pat is one of my twin brothers, Pat and Gil. They're two and a half years younger than I am. And before I get into the story, you need to understand that my brother, Patrick, is somebody whom I admire deeply. He is easily the kindest most generous person I know on the planet. It's a rare, rare thing to see his kind of generosity. Pat's the kind of guy, not only would he give you the shirt off of his back, he would also give you a ride on his back wherever you need to go. That's just kind of who he is and what he does. He is a phenomenal father, a great husband. He's just a great guy. He's very, very smart. Of the three of us, Pat is easily the smartest and very bright, very entrepreneurial, very just, and his mind works in ways that the rest of us just don't. And he looks at the world in the ways that most of us just don't. Having said that, Pat, or as my children know him, Uncle Pat, is different. Anybody else have somebody in your family who's different? I'm just curious. Am I the only one? That's what I thought. Okay. Well, I remember one time in particular, a good friend of mine was bringing me home when I was probably in late middle school, or as we used to call it back then, junior high and we pulled into the driveway of our house there on pagewood lane and as we looked down the driveway there was a stream of water shooting up from behind the garage we thought that's kind of odd and then the water would die down and then there'd be another blast of water and then a pause and so we pulled down the driveway and parked right in front of the garage and got out of the car very very curious and it was about that time that the gate to our backyard swung open and there Uncle Pat stood with a garden hose and a spray nozzle attached to it, covered from head to toe in mud and water, grinning from ear to ear. And as only a big brother can, I looked at Pat and in loving, godly tones asked something to the effect of, Pat, what in the wide world are you doing? And with this huge grin on his face, he said, bird hunting. I'm hiding behind the garage, and when they land on the telephone wires, I blast them. <laughs> now, it was for this and hundreds of other stories like it that long ago in our family, where Uncle Pat is concerned, we stopped asking why. You, you just don't ask why. You just go, that's Pat. That's just who he is. That's what he does. And so we quit asking why because we knew that it wasn't going to make sense to the normal, average person. That was just kind of how Pat rolled. And so we stopped asking why. I think a lot of us, if we were to be completely candid, because of course we are here in church, there at Brazos Hall in church, the reality is that many of us, where life is concerned, we do the same thing that our family did with Uncle Pat. We stop asking why. 
if we've ever asked the question at all and really pursued the answer, why are we here? What is the purpose to my existence? What is the purpose to life in general? What is going on? And so with passion and enthusiasm, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and ask them, why are you here? Hopefully you didn't have to ask your spouse that question just now, but you understand the dynamic at play. I think as we join with over 350 other churches across Austin this morning, beginning this series, Explore God, the why question is really the perfect place to begin. I think it's the optimum question to ask as we begin to look at who is God? Is God real? What does it mean to know God? Maybe to know more about Him. What does that look like? How do we live that out? I think to start with the why question is exactly the right thing to do. And I think it's great because it is transcendent. What I mean by that is this is a question that transcends where you may be, where I may be on our spiritual journeys individually. You may be here today and somebody has invited you and you're kind of kicking the tires of the Christian faith. You're wondering, what is really and truly up with the God thing? And this is a great place for you to begin as well. You may be a person who's been around the Christian faith for eons, and you're a wily veteran of the faith. This is a great question for you as well, if you've never pursued it personally, to then be able to have a conversation with other people, because that's really what Explore God is all about. As much as it is a series of sermons and messages, it's also a kindling, if you will, for conversation fire starters across our city, for people to be able to engage in real conversation about God, to be able to ask questions, to be able to have questions asked of us, no matter where we are, about the God thing. It's a great thing. That's why, as a matter of fact, the Explore God series provides such a great opportunity for conversations beyond when we gather on Sunday morning. That's why, as a church family, we've been preparing for this for months. We have right now 70, count them, say 70. 70. 70 brand new Explore God discussion groups ready for you. Ready for you. If you want to be a part of taking this beyond the walls of the church and have a conversation with somebody that we can't really have in here on Sunday morning, these Explore God groups are exactly designed for you. You may be thinking, oh, I'm brand new. I don't know anybody. That's what these groups are for. You will not be alone in being new. These groups are set up and prepared. The, the facilitators, the hosts of these groups have been praying for new people like you to come along. So real quickly, look inside the program that you got when you came in. It looks like that. And you'll notice inside is an Explore God card. That is for you to sign up right now for an Explore God group, to have a conversation about what we talk about in here, but to move beyond that with other people who are also exploring God. I encourage you, I want to challenge you. Fill that card out and when the service is over, you can drop it in the offering bag when it goes by you or better yet, you could find somebody wearing one of those cool Explore God t-shirts and actually hand it to them and they will get you situated and into one of those groups. Because it really is about conversation. It's about connecting 
with God and with other people. And groups are the best way to make that happen. This is a great starting point. But those groups are the next logical step in that progression. So we invite you into one of those Explore God groups. They're going to be amazing to be a part of. Now, when you think about asking the question, why? You need to understand that you're not alone and you're in some very good company. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about why we're here really from Genesis to maps. But there is one book in particular that is devoted exclusively to the subject of why. To is there a purpose in life? Is there a reason why we're here? Now, I understand at the very beginning that some of you, when you walked in the door today, for you the Bible is not true north. It's not necessarily credible maybe it may be not even authoritative in your life and that is a that is great that that's where you are right now you need to understand for us as a church family we do believe the bible is true north and as a matter of fact next week we're going to talk about why that is but for the moment what i want to invite you to do if you don't really buy the bible and you don't believe in it for the moment if you would just kind of suspend your disbelief and read it with a new perspective I would encourage you as we go through this to read it for its resonance. Look at how the Bible resonates with real life, with your experiences, with your observations, with what you know to be true, with what you know to be real. And especially in God's essay on why. It's known as the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written about a thousand years before Jesus was here on earth chronologically, written by King Solomon, the third king of Israel. And the book of Ecclesiastes is essentially Solomon's PhD thesis on the meaning of life. It's a very existential book. You you probably want to put on a black turtleneck and prepare some espresso before you start sitting down to read Ecclesiastes. You'll be very intellectual. You'll be amongst the erudite of our world if you do. But in this book, Solomon gets at the heart of this why question. And I want to share with you kind of how he opens this up. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where you see kind of a thesis sentence of this dissertation on this discussion of why. Is there a purpose to life? This is what Solomon wrote, inspired by God, by the way. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now, I don't use the word fathom a whole lot, but I do remember my mom using the word fathom when I was growing up. My mom was an English teacher. My mom is a very, very bright and intelligent woman. But there were times when she would be reprimanding me as a child when I would have to call a timeout and have to go look up words that she would use. And I remember this word fathom because I remember one time in particular getting in trouble. I think it was the only time probably. I remember this one time my mom stopped and and mom, we were always in more trouble. How many of you were like this? You were always in more trouble if your parents were not yelling. You know what I'm talking about? Like if your parents yell, it's kind of bad. You're like, ah, but when they get very serious and whisper that's when you kind of like cower and like oh this is going to be bad you know i still and my mom when i say i cowered my mom is not a big girl five foot four tiny tiny 
But I mean, she carried a big stick in our house. How many of you had a mom who carried a big stick? Okay. Well, you two were blessed. And I remember my mom looking at me one time after I had done something wrong and saying this to me. I cannot fathom what would possess you to have done that. And I'm going, fathom? What was it? Fathom. It is a measurement of depth. And as deep as I could possibly go, I cannot imagine what it was that possessed you to do that. Now inside I'm going, didn't you say that? But fathoming is going to the depth. To, to fathom something means that you, you ponder it and you consider it as deeply as it could possibly be fathomed be imagined, be conceived, be thought of, be considered. And that's what Solomon is saying here. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he says, God has set eternity in your heart. That there's something inside of us that we're born with when we get here that tells us instinctively, we inherently kind of know that there's more to life than just what we see. We kind of instinctively know that there's something else going on here. Now, throughout life, we may adopt a different philosophy or worldview or set of thoughts and beliefs that contradict that, but you go back to your earliest memories as a child. You go back to your deepest longing as a human being right now, and you will realize that what Solomon is talking about in Ecclesiastes 3 is spot on the money. There's something inside of us that feels like, that thinks, and I would suggest to you there's something inside of us that hopes that there's more to this life than just the straight out here and now. And that's what he's saying here. God has placed that within us. It's a part of who you are. It's a part of who I am. To be created in the image of God means that we got that spark of the eternal that God supernaturally placed that within us now historically there have been kind of three different takes on the why question on the question of purpose and I want to just very quickly run through these bless you I want to quickly run through these so that we understand kind of where we find this is kind of one of those you are here spots on the map the three different takes on the purpose of life question begin, of course, obviously, as you would guess, we're in church, with religion. Religion kind of takes a unique take on the purpose of life question. Religion says that your purpose is your performance. Your purpose is your performance. That you behave a certain way, that you perform a certain set of rules and regulations and at appropriate times maybe even observe some rituals and that will reveal your purpose in life. That through your religion, through your performance, you will connect with God in a meaningful kind of a way. That, that's one take. Now, the second take that I want to mention to you is the one that I think is most prevalent in our world and certainly here in Austin. And that is the take of humanism. The take of humanism says essentially that the purpose of life comes down to this. Your purpose is your preference. 
that this is the course of self-determination. You decide what is your purpose in life. You will be the determinant of your own destiny. You will chart your own course. And humanism says you choose your preference. What, even if you choose to help other people, if it's your choice, then that's a humanistic way of looking at things. This is kind of what has been the dominant cultural breeze, if you will, over the last 150, 200 years in the United States coming out of the Enlightenment. That this bent towards self-determination, toward rational, logical thinking, that we can determine our own best interests and therefore our purpose in life is the message of humanism. But you take those two and along comes Jesus. Jesus comes along and carves out a path where none had existed before. Jesus comes along and says, it's not so much about religion. And I hate to break this to you, but humans are not the center of the universe. It's not just about your preference and your choices. Jesus comes along and says something radically different altogether. Jesus says that your purpose is your pursuer. The one who has pursued you your entire life is where you find your purpose. And when Jesus throws this out there, he does nothing but affirm the findings of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes a thousand years prior to Jesus uttering that phrase. Solomon had come along and said, you know what? I've seen it all. I've done it all. Solomon tried every single thing that there is to try. He tried pleasure. How do you know that? Well, number one, he said it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Number two, just for those of you scoring at home, Solomon was the king of Israel. And as such, he could do pretty much whatever he decided. And Solomon had 300, say 300, 300 wives. 300 wives. Now, you can say what you want to. That's a bad idea. That, that's, just, that's just not a good idea. On top of 300 wives, he had 700 concubines. A thousand women. Some of you are thinking that sounds awesome. Some of you are thinking he's a dead man. So when Solomon says, I tried pleasure to find if the purpose of life was available there, you can bet he did his homework and he said it wasn't enough. He said, I tried riches and wealth. I, I built massive homes and gardens and they were fine. They were, they were beautiful to look at. They had the latest in technology, the latest in architecture, but the wealth was not enough. He says, I tried wisdom and knowledge in and of itself. If I, if I could gain enough wisdom, if I could gain enough knowledge and information, if I could get my PhD, then I would certainly find purpose and meaning. And Solomon came to the conclusion that wisdom and knowledge, though they're good, in and of themselves are not enough to answer the why question. 
He says, I tried it all. And I found everything to be lacking. As a matter of fact, he goes so far as to give us the bottom line. All the way over at the end of Ecclesiastes in chapter number 12. In Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon gets to the end of his experiment, his existential experiment. And he comes to the bottom line. And in Ecclesiastes 12, he gives us three takeaways from that third take on the purpose of life. Look at what he says in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, now all has been heard. He goes, I tried it all. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. He says, you, you want to know the bottom line? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, I understand, and, and I understand because I feel the same way. When I first read the words, fear God, there's a part of me that kind of recoils from that. I, I step back and I'm like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like that whole fear God thing. How many of you have ever read the Bible or read something in the Bible and gone, I don't like that? Has anybody else ever done that? Has anybody else ever scoured the pages of the scriptures looking for loopholes for something you felt like doing? I'm, wondering, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I may not be the only one. But this is too important for us to just skate over this. To fear God means very, very simply that you recognize God as God. That you personally place Him in your life, in your priorities, in your choices, in your heart, your mind, your actions, your work, your family, your marriage, your dating life. That you recognize God as God. One of the most liberating prayers that you will ever pray is to say, God, you are God and I am not. Now here's the problem with that prayer. We come into this lifetime, into this existence, into this world with the predisposition that we get to play God. And some of you are like, whoa, that's kind of harsh, Mac. How many of you have had any children who are two or three years old at some point in their lives. Can I just see a show of hands? Every single one of us in this room, every single one of us downtown, we were ourselves two or three years old at some point in life. And every two or three-year-old on the planet, as wonderful as they are, as much a blessing from God as they are, they live under the misguided assumption that they are the center of the universe. And it is our job as parents to disavow them of this assumption. And some people never get the message. 
much to the chagrin of the people around them. Does anybody here work with somebody who still thinks they're the center of the universe? Does anybody go to school with somebody who thinks they're the center of the universe? Here's the great news about this. We all do. Instinctively, we all do. Don't, don't get too haughty about people who think they're the center of the universe. Because we all do. Even those of us who have been around church forever, we know the Bible. We went to vacation Bible school. We volunteer at vacation Bible school. Middle of summer. We all wrestle with this. It's called selfishness. How many of you are wives? Can I see a show of hands? Just those of you who are wives in the house. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to not raise your hand on this next question. Has your husband ever wrestled with selfishness? Hands down. Hands down and elbows in. That's really the problem. We could lose some ribs here in this service. You see, to recognize God as God means that we take the back seat. To recognize God as God means that He's driving. That He is the Lord. That the director, El Jefe, of our lives. That is fearing God. It's, it's a reverencing. It's standing in awe of Him. To fear God and to keep His commandments. Number two, to keep His commandments means that you trust God. That you trust Him. That's what really is at root when it comes to the subject of obedience. It's, it's not just to keep His commandments so that you get your little mark for the day. But it's because you trust Him. Because ultimately, your purpose and my purpose in this life is to live in relationship with God. To live in relationship with God. It's not to know about God. It's not to go to church three out of four Sundays a month. It's not even to be a good person. Your purpose is to love God and to be loved by Him. And when you love somebody, you trust them. And you show God, you display your trust of God in obedience. Remember when I asked you if you'd ever looked for a loophole? Remember if I asked you if you'd ever looked at scriptures and there was something you didn't like? Man, I've been there. But after... 46, almost 47 years of life and almost 40 years of walking with God in fits and starts to be sure, but walking with God. I've noticed a pattern. Every time I trust Him, life works better. That's, that's the pattern I have noticed. Every time I trust God, life works works better. 
And so when I come to something in the Bible that doesn't make sense or that I don't like, or how about this one, that I don't feel like doing, well, I didn't, I didn't feel like it. And I've got to be real. I've, I've got to be honest with God. I mean, He wants me to be happy, doesn't He? No. He doesn't. God does not want you happy. He wants you whole. And to be whole is to walk with Him and to trust Him. And in your wholeness, in your completeness, in your fulfillment, you will find something that makes happiness look stupid. It's called joy. It's called freedom. And it's called peace. That's what God wants for you. That's what He invites you into in this relationship. So to fear God and to keep His commandments means that you trust Him. That you recognize God as God and you trust Him. But old Solomon wasn't quite done yet. You keep His commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. We also, in our purpose, are called to collaborate with God. To collaborate with God. The word collaborate is a great one. I think of songwriters. I, I love music. I, I was one of those guys. How many of y'all remember Sound Warehouse back in the day? You remember the record store Sound Warehouse? I used to go into Sound Warehouse to read the backs of albums. Albums were these big things that people used to listen to music on. <laughs> and they came in these square packages that were very flat. And on the back of them, it had the list of the songs, list of the musicians, and who had written each song. I loved looking at who had written the songs, who had collaborated on that song. To collaborate means to co-labor. And God calls you and me to co-labor, to collaborate in this world in what He is up to. So your purpose and my purpose in life are not just about us, although that's there. It is also about how He's going to use us to make a difference in this world. To continue the process of renewing that which is old. Fixing that which is broken. Making beautiful that which is ugly. Healing that which is sick. This blows my mind. Because God, whom we've already recognized as God, could do it all Himself. He could think it and it'd be done. And yet He chooses to use us. He chooses to let us collaborate with Him. And in that collaboration to find the joy, the peace, and the freedom, and the fulfillment that He's called us to live in this purpose that He has for our lives. So I think you understand a little bit more now. It's not about being afraid of God. It's reverencing God. It's recognizing God as God. It's trusting Him. And it's collaborating with Him. Now I told you earlier that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes a thousand years before Jesus walked on the earth. Look at what Jesus said. In the book of 1 John, 
In the book of 1 John, God's Spirit says this through the Apostle John. In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. You need to underline that. I think a lot of us need to be reminded of that. His commands are not burdensome. They're not there to be heavy-handed. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. It's the victory that overcomes the world. It's the victory that Jesus accomplished when he rose from the dead. It is the victory that God created you, that God is calling you to live in day in and day out. Overcoming the world doesn't begin when you die so that you go to heaven. Overcoming the world can begin right here, right now, as you live in, as you live out your purpose. Now, in a room this size, or in a room like Brazos Hall downtown, there are a number of us who have never stepped into that relationship. There are a number of us who have, but are still trying to figure out the why question. I want to challenge you. I want to invite you to make Explore God a priority. The message series, the discussion groups, but also personally and individually. That you do the spiritual legwork. Ask the questions. Talk to God. Because your purpose from God is found in relationship with God. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you, if you will, open yourself up to the possibility that your why question is answered in Jesus. That the purpose of life is really and truly your pursuer. If you're here today and you've never responded to Jesus' pursuit, you've never given your life to Him, I want to just invite you to do that right now. It doesn't mean that you understand everything. None of us does. But it means that you're going to choose to trust the one who created you. The one who loves you perfectly. The one who offered to take the penalty for your sin, to die on the cross, and to rise again. To overcome the world. If you're here right now and you've never done that, I want to invite you to do just that. To step into that relationship personally and definitively 
just to begin that relationship with a word of prayer. Just silently talk to God right where you are. Just silently say in your own words, Jesus, I need you. You are God and I am not. And I give you my life. I will trust you from this moment forward. I confess my sin, all of it, to claim your forgiveness and to collaborate with you from this moment forward in everything that I do. In Jesus' name. heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment more. I want to ask you if you will guard the holiness of this moment. If that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life would you just quietly but definitively raise your hand and raise it up high over your head? downtown at Brazos Hall, y'all as well. If somebody just stepped into that relationship with Christ, responding to his initiative, just raise your hand. Because this is the most important moment of your life. It's a moment that deserves to be marked. We want to help with that what's next moment. And just pass something down the aisle to you down the row to help in that I hope you understand every one of us that this moment is why we're here as a church family it's why we exist and so for those who that was your prayer and God did that in your life we want this to be a safe place for you we want this to be a a haven And so as a church family, we put our hands together and we tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.